Hey everyone, welcome to Love, Rinse, Repeat, a podcast recorded on Gayamuggle land by me, Liam Miller. He, him, his, a minister in the Uniting Church in Australia. Love, Rinse, Repeat is supported by and part of the Uniting Mission and Education uh, arm of the Uniting Church Synod in New South Wales and ACT, and I'm thankful for their support. My guest today, joining me from Marriott, England, is the wonderful Ruth Jackson Ravenscroft. Welcome, Ruth. Thank you. Uh, for those who don't know, uh, Ruth is a, a research fellow at the, in theology at Sydney Sussex College, Cambridge, uh, where she was previously a postdoctoral researcher on the ERC-funded project Bible and Antiquity in 19th Century Culture, having received her PhD from Cambridge in 2006, 2016. Uh, today we're discussing her first book, her new monograph, uh, The Veiled God, Friedrich Schleiermacher's Theology of Finitude, which is out with Brill uh, and was released in 2019. Uh, so maybe before we get to the book, uh, I guess, yeah. you know, just curious about me, a bit of your journey into becoming a theologian, into, into the world of academia, into this, you know, even before you go, I'm going to specify in this kind of yeah. particular time, what, what, um, how did this kind of path, you know, open up before you? It was a very easy one, really, in the sense that my dad studied theology at university. So I imagine for a number of students across the UK, theology is a, a discipline they've not really heard of, actually. Mm. I, when I tell people I'm a theologian and I study theology, people think I say geology. And you know, I have to sort of tease them away from rocks constantly. <laughs> so, But theology was very much for me growing up, just a part of the universe. And it was a very sort of obvious um, mm. choice for me. So even at a school level, you know, my dad was actually my RE teacher at school. Um, so that didn't put me off, surprisingly. And <laughs> he's, he's that good for him, yeah, you know. Yeah. So, but, you know, not really. So in that sense, it wasn't a particularly sort of profound conversion or anything like that that brought me on to, you know, a conversion to theology. It was more mm. that it was just there in the background my whole entire life. You know, there are pictures of my dad reading Kierkegaard to me when I was a baby. <laughs> so, so it's almost like this was just sort of the, the path I followed. And I, yeah, so from from very young, um, always interested in mm. these big questions that you can't answer very easily. Mm. Um, and it was those big questions that continue to, to, to draw me now. And, and, and so even when I, um, you know, one of my, you know, one of the things about my, the, the way I do theology is I like to do theology indirectly, which is to say, reading any sort of work, whether it be historical, literary or philosophical, asking those theological questions in an indirect way of those sources which are outside of theology has mm. always been sort of second nature to me. So, yeah, it's not a particularly interesting answer, perhaps, but yeah, no. it's just always been there. Well, I like the answer because it gives me hope that that may, perhaps my daughters will now follow my footsteps uh-huh. into, into yeah, a lot of there theology. You go. Now, that, now that I see that, it's actually can be possibly achieved. Uh, is, yeah. Is, is, you know, exciting for me. So, um and and I really like that idea of that the indirectness and, and and drawing in other disciplines, which I guess I'm curious is that part of what drew you then to Schleiermacher, who who is you know infamous or infamous may be the wrong word, um, notorious for for drawing on disciplines and writing on in disciplines well beyond you know what we now you know house in theology schools. Um, was that part of what what led you there, or was it was it something else that drew you into this kind of focus? That, I mean, this is definitely the, re, you know, now I, my continuing interest in him as a sort mm. of vibrant theological presence um, and a conversation partner, that is central to to my image of him. But weirdly, well, not weirdly, actually, but 
funnily enough, when I first encountered Schleimacher, it was on um, it was on my course as a as a young undergraduate Cambridge mm. student, and he was sort of part of our big core theology course, mm-hmm. and it was it was Christian faith. You know, so I very much did encounter him as this sort of um, 19th century theological presence who sort of annoyed Bart, you know, and that was <laughs> that was the narrative that um, that I was expecting to find there. Um, a narrative completely punctured by my teacher in that course, Janet Soskis, who went on to become my PhD supervisor, who's a, um, an amazing reader of Schleiermacher and completely dislodged this sort of the usual mm-hmm. narrative of, 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 of Schleiermacher as liberal theologian. So, so it was it was. Janet Soskis that really got me interested in Schleiermacher initially and was my real inf- was a real massive influence on my reading of her but this this sort of interdisciplinary Schleiermacher was one I was one I encountered when I, really when I was doing my PhD and then subsequently when I was uh, um on this project that you mentioned in your introduction the mm. the Bible and Antiquity project because in that project I was a colleague to historians, classicists, um, mm. scholars of art history, and you just learn on a project like that when you're one of the few theologians in the project that Schleimacher does not belong simply to theology. He belongs mm. to translation theorists, to classicists, mm. to historians, to, to scholars of the history of scholarship. So, you know, I was sharing Schleiermacher with all mm. of these people for whom he was fundamental to the origin of their discipline, you know, whether it be anthropology or, yeah, translation studies. Mm. So it was at that point when you realise that you're sharing Schleiermacher, that that, that that sharing is a really sort of fruitful way of engaging with him too. So this Schleiermacher mm. as polymath is really, um, is really key to my image of him. Yeah, thank you for that. And I think we'll come back to that a bit later on, and particularly how that shapes... How, how you do your work and how others might also approach. But I guess staying also broad with the being someone interested in and working on Schleiermarker, it seems from at least my Twitter feed, there's you know never been a better time to be a Schleiermarker scholar, fan, stan, yeah. whatever we might want to use, you know, like yeah. the, the you know, and, and I've interviewed a few different people like Shelley Poe and Ted Vial and mm-hmm. a couple of others on, on the pod Um and then there are others like you know, Chris, or Christine Helmer and 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 just a yeah. host of folks who are kind of doing, as you say, what, what your teacher did for you in kind of, you know, going like, look, we've kind of got enough away from Bart now that we can kind of look again yeah. um, exactly. and, and, and look at what exactly is the legacy and what actually was he saying himself and, you know, engaging critically, of course, it's not like, you know, um, hygiography, but like, but saying yeah. that, you know, there's been an unfair dismissal and that there's actually a lot of vitality here. So, so I guess, was that something that you kind of felt was happening as you began to work or was it um, more something you like stumbled into? And then, so, and how does it feel to be kind of, I guess, in some ways, part of this thing happening both, both in academia and it seems online? <laughs> it's so exciting to be part of it. So I was definitely aware of this when I was starting my PhD, mm. um, you know, many years ago now, I think around 2011 sort of time. And at that point, as I said, Janet Soskis was one of these um, leading lights in, mm. in, in saying, Schleimacher, there's more to Schleimacher. We need to engage with Schleimacher and particularly her as a Catholic theologian. Mm. This was quite a this was quite a big move she was making. And it, and it, it was at that point when I was reading uh, Jacqueline Mourinho's work on the transformation of the self in Friedrich Schleimacher, this amazing book, which sort of mm. put forward this vision of Schleiermacher as yes, indebted to Kant, but a complete a critic a critic mm. of Kant mm. in a really key way. So at that stage, early in my PhD, I was really aware of um, these um, you know figures for me who are now sort of like 
proper mentor figures and, and leading lights like Christine Helmer and Julia Lamb and 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 all of these voices coming through in, mm. and and Thandeka coming through in in the early 2010 sort of period. So that was already established when I was doing my PhD, and I was really excited that I was sort of joining the bandwagon, really. And that's <laughs> that's there in the introduction of my book. You know that the PhD when I wrote it was like, okay, I am joining a chorus of voices here saying. Schleiermacher is someone we should be recognizing. But as I push through the PhD, it's just become, the, the, the voices have become louder <laughs> uh, to, to prolong my metaphor. Um, and so, yeah, the, the Twitter conversations now, it's like you say, it's it's fun. It's a, it's a really fun place to be that someone called it a Schleiermacher Renaissance. It may have been mm-hmm. Joshua Ralston. Mm. Um, but yeah, it, 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 it does feel like a really fun time to be yeah. a Schleiermacher person now. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, because I, I think I've shared in other episodes, like, I don't think we really, I really read Schleimacher directly through my theological studies. I just knew of him as, yes, yeah. the important figure as you kind of chart the way and also figure that is um, important by being the one lots of people are reacting to, primarily Bart, but but others. Um, and, and yeah, it was kind of one of the first ones I really kind of sat down to read was with one of these, like, little like pop-up reading groups that started um via like conversations on twitter and it was like oh yeah like yeah it was it was it's been quite wonderful to to encounter so yes i'm all for this this renaissance (laughs) Um, excellent (laughs) so so i guess then you know we're kind of establishing how you kind of got into theology and how you got into thinking with schleiermarker so i guess the next step is um what drew you to finitude, um, and I guess, mm. and to the broad idea of this book? So, so maybe if you want to, if you want to, you can give a bit of the broad pitch of the book, uh, and a bit of like, what was it about that that you thought um, was it a question that you wanted to address? And you go, actually, I think Schleiermacher is the helpful voice, or was it more you're reading Schleiermacher and you got captured by, oh, I like the way he talks about this. It was, yeah, it was the latter. I was reading Schleiermacher and it was it was a combination of those things, actually, that I was reading Schleiermacher and I thought his um, his engagement, what it means to be a human being mm. is fundamentally profound and, and wonderful. And, and we've already touched on it sort of sideways by talking about how he's a polymath. And so this is a function of him being embedded in a number of social and political institutions. So he's he's a he's a he's a man who's a pastor, he's a civil servant, he's um a, a really social character. And if you've been reading him, you'll know this, that he 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 loved his friends and he he couldn't he, you know there's so much in his correspondence about uh, the fact that when he's working he constantly gets distracted or he wants distraction. You know, he he's he wants people to knock on his door. He wants to have a conversation with someone that will inspire him. So he's this figure who understands himself as a human being to be sort of networked, to be in a nexus of mm. flux and change and to be constantly, every thought he has is a thought he has in relation, you know, in relation to another human being, in relation to another idea. So he's got this thoroughly sort of um engaged understanding of what it means to be human so and that's just completely apparent in every text that he writes um so that that came out of um my my reading of him and and, and the other thing is this this picture that when I was doing the PhD the PhD was much more one of these um okay that the picture of Schleiermacher that we have is is mm-hmm. is wrong here's my little contribution to why mm-hmm. I, you know I think this is a, is a wrong picture so in the PhD my opening was sort of 
okay, people say that Schleiermacher is this subjectivist, that he's mm-hmm. he's he's sort of, he sees religion as this kind of um, uh, facet of human consciousness, this sort of individualized um, feeling or whatever that that's resides within and, and, and is therefore this anthropological um, reduction uh, of, of theology. And I wanted to sort of start to pick that apart by by highlighting this reciprocal quality that's to his thinking, the fact that he mm-hmm. doesn't situate that the, the the individual is sort of cut off from the rest of, of humanity, that so that so that the subject is not this sort of isolated um, monad um, that has some thoughts within them, and that's what religion is, you know. So mm. it was m- my contribution at that stage in the PhD was to sort of bring the finitude point in this sort of the sense of um, worldliness limitation and how that limitation expresses itself in a reciprocal way in Schleiermacher. I was bringing that forward to sort of, um, yeah, interrupt this, um, this portrayal of him basically. Mm. So that's, that's where I got into the, to the finitude point. Yeah. That's really, that's really fascinating. So I was thinking about there, you're talking about like, you know, Schleiermacher has this kind of thing of like, I exist within this nexus of relationships and it's from there that I write and think and all that, which is, you know, if, if, if there's been any kind of, central call um, from from theology, you know, in the latter part of the 20th century into the 21st is that theologians should acknowledge this, right? Yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, That's a a starting point that you go forward on is that you you write from, you know, we are located and situated and we write from that. Um, I guess are there ways that as you've been exploring this where, where you could see Schleiermacher as kind of like before his time in that? And are there ways in which, like, what but what he's doing isn't actually what people would still be crit- critiquing the way he does it? Is there, you know, is there, are there differences in the way he kind of saw it to a lot of the ways it's now kind of expressed and um, framed mm. in, in more modern theology? I think it's a really interesting question because I think the answer to this, you know, as someone who appreciates Schleimacher as a hermeneutics scholar, mm. you know, my own reading of Schleimacher, I understand to be completely dependent on contemporary mm. possibilities, contemporary language, contemporary categories. And so in just this is a sort of sideways answer to your question, but I think the, the contemporary conversations around, you know, in the 90s, it was embodiment. You know, and the body. Oh, the body's important, guys. You know, actually, you know, <laughs> funnily enough. Um, and it, you know, more and more, you know, as we've seen kind of post-structuralism and post-modern um, thought encroaching on our um, on our on our language. You know, we've seen a, a self that is now just understood and, and assumed to be fractured and not transparent to itself. Mm. All of all of these conversations, which give us a vocabulary for speaking about selfhood in these more nuanced ways, past the modern liberal paradigm. I think enable us to look back on Schleiermacher with this vocabulary and to sort of appreciate him for what he was doing in his period, you know. So similarly, this sort of feminist renaissance of feeling and of love was a primary category in theology, enables us to look back on Schleiermacher and say, actually, well, feeling, that's not, why is that considered inherently to be a negative or Mm. bad or emotional term you know mm. so I you know so this so basically in response to your question I think yes actually Schleiermacher was prescient before 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 the now he was already thinking yeah dialogically experientially in an, an embodied way um but a number of the, the the conversations we're having now are enabling us to appreciate this perhaps in a way that we couldn't appreciate it as much in you know earlier 
um, mm. if you see what mm. I mean. Even yes. though, even though, as, as soon as I say that, I'll have to qualify it because, of course, you've got all of these 20th century thinkers, you know, the phenomenology phenomenology um the phenomenal i can't ever say that word but you know what i mean um phenomenologists like merlo ponty um or, or you know or someone like that who is sort of able to um speak of you know the the embodied subject but hang on you know you think to yourself Schleimach is an influence on that tradition too mm. you know you've got this line of um existentialists even after kierkegaard um who who comes up in my book Mm. Who are who are all engaging? You know, Heidegger wrote his one of his dissertations on Schleiermacher. There's this mm. definite Schleiermacherian um, influence on those existentialist and phenomenological traditions in the 20th century that we also appreciate to be aware mm. of our situatedness. So, mm. yeah, that's quite a waffly answer, but no, no, it's know, good. Hopefully, yeah. <laughs> the, the tangent it made me think of just at the end was I think it's, it, it is always funny sometimes you think of where Schleiermacher's name pops up in in other disciplines. And I was reading, um, oh, I can't remember the author now, but uh, the world, a world to win, which is a, a biography on Karl Marx on his life and work. And partway through the book is this like little uh, half a sentence about some religious scholar, a theologian who came to stay with um, Marx, who was like a student of Schleiermacher at the time and had right. uh, come through that. Like, you know, it was just like, I, was like, oh, I know that name. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he gets everywhere, honestly. <laughs> it, he just he just worms his way into every conversation. <laughs> That's brilliant. Um, so thinking then about the uh, finitude, one thing that I was kind of thinking about with the book is, is you know, this idea that there's a, a freedom in finitude. Mm-hmm. Um in that, you know, it's it, it, this kind of that we're free to acknowledge that the self, that as a people who are created, then the self comes completely from outside, um, yeah. that, that our existence comes from outside of us. Uh, and you kind of talk about that as this then ability to kind of make and remake the self. Um, and again, I feel that's like something that touches on a lot of contemporary conversations around identity and, and, and performance and and who we are and could be, you know. And so I guess, yeah, just curious about like that kind of avenue of taking finitude in this mm. kind of constructive direction, you know, because I think sometimes, you know, in a, a knee-jerk reaction some people might have to thinking about finitude is, oh, right, that we die. <laughs> like yeah. that, it's, it's a bad thing. Like, it's limitation. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's limitation, yeah. right? If we didn't have finitude, yeah. imagine all that we could do. Um, it's a thing that makes us lesser than God. You know, that's it's a, yeah. it's a humbling category kind of thing. Um, and, and I mean that in kind of a negative sense. So, yeah, um, yeah. yeah so I guess I'm trying to, yeah, thinking about that this, this, this as kind of constructive way that you kind of approach it through Schleimacher is this, this freedom to, to consider consider the self in a different way. Absolutely. So I suppose one of the first things to say here, and it's a really good question, and it's a really important question because I've had this before from people, you know, Finitude, mm-hmm. that's, that's a pretty sort of um, negative thing to focus yeah. on, right? But you're, and you're right. So Schleimacher's context, he's, you know, he, he as a younger voice, you know, he writes the speeches when he's turning 30. Mm-hmm. And at that period, he was he was embedded in this um, this circle of romantic scholars, um, in Berlin. And the Romantics um, were, you know, a number of them, the way that they envisaged the religious life was a sort of um, an ability to rise above 
what what we conceive of as kind of the shackling quality to to finitude to, to human life mm. and so a, 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 a sort of journey beyond um the, the here and now and and so there's a way in which Schleiermacher as a as a theologian of finitude and this is um this is an, a term coined by Ruth Richardson um a, a scholar of, of of the romantics she calls him a theologian of finitude in comparison to his romantic contemporaries who want to envisage religion as this a way way of of escape um, almost of, of 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 the sort of uh, they they talk about religion in sense of a, a transcendent quality of of you know that's why they're interested in sort of um, uh, wordless music and this this way of being able mm. to sort of lift oneself beyond. The, the, the everyday. But for Schleiermacher, it's really important to him. And this is what, in the end, keeps him a Christian. Um, I think, you know, that's quite a bold claim, but, but one of the elements that mm. keeps him, just like Augustine reading the Neoplatonists and thinking, where's Christ in this? Schleiermacher's very, very um, sort of um, happy with the idea that we can know God in our in our finitude, in our limitation. And this is part of his regard for the incarnation, you know, that God mm. meets us where we are. And so you have Schleiermacher in his romantic context, sort of, and this is when he's writing the speeches, you know, mm. he's firm, he's adamant that we know, we we intuit the infinite within the finite. And mm. it's in, we don't have to leave the, the, mm. our present conditions and, and who we are as, as frail individuals, as individuals, yeah, who will go on to die in this life. We don't have to leave this context in order to be um, in a relationship with God too. So there's this sort of, um, so that that really, and, and that's his sort of context for, for, I think, becoming this this theologian of finitude is, is, is wanting to say to the romantics, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to leave this, leave this life. And this is where that freedom comes in that you mentioned, because um, one of the things I talk about in the book is uh, towards the end of the book, when I'm discussing this romantic context mm. is one of the reasons the romantics have this critique of organized religion is that they say that, again, organized religion, established Christianity, isn't that a kind of flattening of your own mm. individual? Individuality. If you're part of this community that you know you worship with, and you have to be, you you become a, a sort of brother or sister to you know to, to other people in this community, and it shapes the whole way that you live your life, and you you have to do all these rituals. Isn't that in some way flattening who you are as a person? And again, in the speeches, in the fifth speech, Schleiermacher says. No, you know, the situatedness of our life is what enables us to be individuals. Mm. And that's where we begin. So we make decisions in relation. And mm. as an individual, freedom, you will never experience as a, as a human being in this life, an absolute feeling of freedom. You know, this is... Um, uh, uh, unlike this sort of absolute dependence your 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 being in the world as a human being is is a is a sort of um this compatibilism between determinism and 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 free will you know so that you are constantly initiating chains of causation as as a as a free agent you are responsible for your actions you know freedom freedom is a really important category for him otherwise where would moral responsibility come from however this freedom is contextualized, it's situated, as you said, you know, so, and that, that itself is, it, it's him enrich, enriching his vision of freedom through this, this category of finitude. So, yeah, I think that's a really important point that you're drawing on there, that there is a freedom mm. in finitude. Mm. The other thing I was thinking about with, with, with around the finitude discussion is that, um, you know, we often want to try to think of ways of how do we, you know, understand what it is that we all face as as, as a humanity. Um, 
And yet, you know, we are warned, you know, very wisely by many out there that, you know, to start speaking universally of humanity is mm. dangerous for many reasons. Um, but, you know, you kind of point out that, you know, but, but, but finitude seems like a, if there's a good, decent enough category, it's finitude, right? We do, we do decay and die if we live long enough to at least. Um, we do like, you know, we are bound by that. Um, and I guess, you know, you kind of talk a bit about it being maybe a way a way of thinking of unity that can help us then lead into difference in a way yeah. that it is a good kind of gr- a ground floor unifier yeah. that, that, but that one that doesn't close off or presume or come with, you know, um, as much kind of, you know, very cultural tie, you know, it's, it's a bit yeah. more open than that. So I was just curious a bit about that kind of idea of the way finitude can help maybe with some of this, both the unity that allows for difference um, in, in thinking and speaking of what it is to be human. Absolutely. So do you mind if I read a bit of Schleiermacher? It's like I'm not, yeah, I'll just do a little bit of reading. Um, <laughs> so this is he, This is a, a passage from Christian faith, and this is section 33. Um, and in this passage, he's talking about um, the feeling of absolute dependence. And he says, in and of itself, the feeling of absolute dependence is also the same in all who hold it. And it is not different from person to person. Um, This claim already follows, however, from the fact that the feeling of absolute dependence is not rooted in any sort of distinct modification of human existence, but in the absolutely shared nature of human beings. And this absolutely shared human nature includes within itself the possibility of all those differences by which the special contents of individual personal existence are determined. So, I mean, this is a passage in in Christian faith where he's saying the feeling of absolute dependence does not depend on any sort of quality of, of human nature. So you don't it's it's not dependent you know humanity is not dependent on a shared rationality or a shared whatever it means to be a human being this course of sameness like you're saying this building of humanity upon a trait like rationality or um some other quality of being human he's saying this is some the feeling of absolute dependence is given to us you know it's 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 god working in our lives it's god working to create us so it's something that's that's the same in every one of us because we're all created by god we're all given our lives by god we're all absolutely dependent so everything in the universe is characterized by this absolute dependence and it's it's our ability to reflect on it as human as human beings that that, that means we have this feeling of it and it's not simply a um, an aspect of our finity. But then he goes on in this passage, doesn't he, to say that this shared human nature includes within itself the possibility of all those differences mm. um, with by which the, the special contents of individual, individual personal existence are determined. So what he's saying here is that, um, you know, um, difference is something integral to human nature. Mm. So this comes from his tendency as as a romantic as well to think in terms of holes so when he thinks about what it means to be a human being he doesn't have a a sort of a vision of a one human person with sort of a a brain and 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 a a rationality and sort of um the shape of a human being Mm. when he thinks about what it means to be human he thinks about humanity as a totality um and um you've i've got this this a few a few sort of um Allow me to give you another sort of quote from him. Um, he this is this is a quote he writes uh, in his sort of romantic period in a book called The Soliloquies, and he's sort of he's critiquing Kant indirectly here, and he says. 
Um, and he's talking about humanity as a whole. And he says, I was not satisfied to view humanity in rough, unshapen masses, um, inwardly together alike. So he wasn't content mm. to, to view humanity as inwardly alike and taking transient shape externally only by reason of mutual contact and friction. And there dawned on me at this moment what is now my highest intuition, which is I saw clearly that each person is meant to represent humanity in their own way, combining its elements uniquely so that humanity may reveal itself in every mode and that all can issue from humanity's womb be made actual in the fullness of unending space and time. So, in that quote, he's saying, look, if we consider humanity in terms of this wholeness, every single individual human being adds something to mm. what it means to be human. And so as we move through space and time, each individual person brings something extra to, to this, this fulsome category of humanity. And he talks about the, 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 the emergence of humanity from this womb, this eternal womb that's continually expanding, basically. So you've got here this really rich conception of humanity premised on this category of finitude where to be human is to belong to this wholeness of humanity but in my individualness as a human I just add to that humanity so mm. it's 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 a concept of humanity which allows for difference as a natural feature of what it means to be human and doesn't require a sameness of humanity to which mm. difference becomes sort of antagonistic if you see mm. what I mean absolutely and I think that's so important where because often we have this kind of idea of like you know a, a neutral or universal man essentially mm. who, who who represents what it is and then and everything else is understood as a deviation from or a, a, a you know a change from a, a riff on absolutely that, that kind of thing and i think you know it's interesting to see how this kind of totality wholeness and and a wholeness that is ever evolving ever 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 adapting it you know can can kind of skew that kind of thinking in some ways yeah mm. absolutely yeah yeah so so it's interesting again thinking about like you know the, this interest in finitude that, that Schleiermacher has and this interest of of God being able to meet in the here and now and something being able to muddle through there and um, you know because when we think about Schleiermacher's kind of um, early years um, you know marked by a decent amount of doubt disillusionment yeah. some friction with his father around doctrinal uh, <laughs> affirmations yeah. yeah yes a bit of disowning and maybe some reconciliation but. Um, you know, and, and and so curious, you know, then how, you know, him not, you know, him having to kind of, kind of in some ways wrestle his way into the faith kind of thing, um, that that both maybe, you know, informs, shapes and, pr and provokes him to kind of continue on this finitude track. Do you feel like mm -hmm. there's, yeah, can you talk to us a bit about that kind of, the importance of kind of understanding those biographical elements as you kind of think about how Schleiermacher gets to where he does on finitude? Yeah, I, I mean, I wouldn't want to be the sort of a person who says to anyone interested in reading Schleiermacher, like, you will never understand Schleiermacher properly unless you do X, Y, and Z. And then you you do, you not just do that, you do A, B, and C as well. I think it can be utterly reductive to, to sort of present Schleiermacher as this sort of code that needs to be broken. Mm. And in order to sort of crack the code, you need to sort of be an eminent scholar who's worked for 20 years in order to understand Schleiermacher. And then only then can you really get the real <laughs> Schleiermacher. So I want... I would want to sort of, yeah, that's yeah. not your, that's not what you're suggesting at all. It's just me sort of being, you know, uh, yeah. encouraging to everyone out there <laughs> who's not read Schleiermacher yet, really, but wants to get, get on board with him. Um, I, so I don't think you need to know everything about Schleiermacher in order to 
um, read his work fruitfully. But what I do think, what I've tried to show in my book, and, and I'm, yeah, so thanks for the question, because I think, you know, um, what I've tried to show in my book is that it's what, what is relevant to his thought is an understanding of, of where he's coming from and the journey he's been on and the context within which he's writing everything. So I've mentioned quite a lot of the romantic influence on his thinking. And we've seen that the organic notion, the organic metaphors you get in romanticism, like um, the, the idea of humanity as a whole, are massively important mm. to understanding and appreciating his anthropology, his theological anthropology. So that's, mm. that's just one kind of clear point um, where biography becomes important. But I think, yeah, you mentioned this, these per this period of doubt and disillusionment. And it just, it's sort of having Schleiermacher in your mind as, as a person for whom faith is hard won and it's a journey that you're engaging with every day is, mm. you know, it opens up a, a dimension to his theology, you know, it opens up the fact that he was an intensely pastorally minded theologian. His, his work, you know, it can be read in isolation from his preaching, but if you're interest in Schleiermacher, read his sermons as well as his dogmatics and as well as his speeches. And you'll see this sort of, um, this, this, this drive to witness to a community as someone who himself has had problems with, mm. with his faith in the past. And the other thing that this, this period of doubt brings out in him, um, as well as this sort of, uh, this pastoral dimension to him is this, um, as you sort of hint at, the fact that he has this very nuanced relationship in his mind between the the workings of reason and the workings of the heart. And those are never two things that are um, that in sort of opposed to one another for Schleiermacher, yeah. but they have this sort of um, dialectical reciprocal relationship and um, where the sort where faith um, is a sort of motor for reason and reason is a motor for faith. And those those two ways of engaging with the world are are parallel to him. They're not the same. So um so faith is underneath and beyond and, and, and around reason, but reason is not antithetical to, to faith either. And these periods of doubt that I mentioned in the book and disillusionment where he, he rejects, yeah, he rejects certain central dogma, uh, dogmatic claims to Christianity before coming back to the faith, show a dramatic outworking of that relationship in action there. So before we sort of dismiss, dismiss Schleiermacher as this feelings guy who doesn't have any regard for the role of reason in his, you know, and I mean, I don't, I don't think many people assume that about Schleiermacher mm. anymore, but, but before we do any of that, let's have a look at his own personal faith journey and what it represents mm. about for him, the relationship of, of, of reason and faith. So, yeah, I think your, your question is a really good one. Mm. Um, you kind of mentioned before, you know, that whole you don't want to make it seem like you have to, um, you know, spend all these years to get there. But I guess one of the things that does kind of, and I guess that your book draws out that probably does feel like a hurdle for some is because there's the biographical detail. There is also what we've talked about, the polymath uh, yeah. idea that that you can't just come at the theology um, to get the full picture of what you know, but he's, he writes in ethics and hermeneutics. He writes a play. He writes, yeah. you know, a whole bunch of um, stuff like you know, um, that's that's you know, crossing disciplines. I think like, I um, think it was maybe in in, in Ted Veal's, um intro. He says it's essentially other than Old Testament. He basically doesn't. Oh yeah, like, have a uh, yeah, which is this whole thing. <laughs> but um, he doesn't have like a, a kind of topic he hasn't at least doesn't at least teach on at one point. Um, that's that's you know, exactly. tangentially connected to this in, in some ways. And so I guess the knowing that folks are going to have to come in at a point and are not going to be able to generally 
get their handle on 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 all these things are there mm. ways that you can people can kind of at least be open to and aware of this in a way that would help guide their reading without having felt like they've they're actually got a handle on what in the world he's writing in his in his non-theological ethics ethics <laughs> absolutely and i think that you know i can see for you yeah it's if you have to sort of be an i mean no none of us are going to be polymathic in the way that Schleiermacher mm-hmm. was a polymath. And this is also a product of our time, isn't it? That our disciplines are so siloed yes. often at the university now. And, you know, talking to colleagues in, in the States, for example, as as to how, you know, sem- the seminary um, setup mm. is, is adjacent to often the, the sort of secular religious studies department in the university. Um, the way that we do our theology is, is, is often very siloed now. And so there isn't this possibility in the same way for us to be polymathic mm. um creatures you know and you're right Schleimacher lectured didn't he on 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 anthropology on psychology on edu- education on hermeneutics on all that you know goodness me um so yeah how to engage with all of this or how to get a flavor of Schleimacher as polymath if you are a student of theology and um my um my uh, recommendation to you would be firstly to engage with secondary literature outside your own discipline. So when I was a student, uh, you know, a sort of master's student preparing for my PhD, I was sort of floored by, again, this this notion of how we are sharing Schleiermacher with, with other disciplines. Mm. So mm. for me here in, in the UK, Hey, there's um there's a philosopher Andrew Bowie who is the translator of the hermeneutics lectures into English and he is not a theologian um he knows what theology is but he's <laughs> his his discipline is is philosophy and he's an amazing philosopher and his translation of the hermeneutics for me was so helpful in mm. um in in bringing home how Schleimacher's romanticism affected his way of translating texts. So reading something like Andrew Bowie's introduction to the to the hermeneutics lectures would be one way of, of coming in and getting that, that romantic background um, while also engaging with one of Schleimacher's other texts. There's um since you know the, the books come out one of the people I've been um in touch with um about it you know and and, and I'm is, is Constanza Gutenka who's who's a classicist in Oxford here and she's mm. a Schleiermacher expert but a classicist mm. and so we've been um we've been swapping notes on Schleiermacher from our different disciplines but her book she's just brought out a book um called Feeling and Philology Mm. Um, so she looks at the romantics, including Schleiermacher and their contribution to the field of philology. So, yeah, reading someone like Constanza's work on Schleiermacher, um, it's 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 lucid, it's clear, it's um, mm. innovative, and it's not it's not antagonistic to theology. It just provides that richer picture of of of, of Schleiermacher um, that you you know one could access um, without having to be a classicist oneself. So mm. yeah, that would be my first tip really to sort of engage if you if you want to if you're interested with secondary literature on Schleiermacher ri- written by. Hmm. people from outside of theology and that's a really nice way and that's how I did it that's yeah. how I started to get into Schleiermacher as um as as a as a, as a figure shared by all of these disciplines mm. um but then beyond that as you know all the all the texts you noted read the texts read his dialogue <laughs> read his novella read his um speeches as someone who's not looking at the speeches simply as a, a as, as a theologian in the Christian tradition mm. thinking oh this isn't really a Christian text what do we do with it oh is there a bit of this that we can think of in a sort of doctrinal way 
read it as a work of a precocious romantic who's defending religion in a modern idiom against those people he thinks, well, for those people he thinks would be the ideal religious believers, but is mm. are not quite where he is at the moment. So try and engage with these texts would be my tip. Um, you know, slightly outside your comfort zone. Yeah, great. No, thank you for that. I think that's, that's really helpful. So to, to, as we kind of land the plane, this has been a wonderful yeah. conversation. I'm happy to keep going, but uh, I'm going to introduce a new little segment. Uh, so it's going to get trialed on you and you can feedback how, how it works. So um, if you if you can imagine yourself going into two different rooms, the first is you're going to get to sit and listen to Schleiermacher preach or teach about any kind of topic. And you get to choose that. Just to sit and listen, no interruptions. You just have to sit and listen. And then the other room, you get to go in and knock on that door and disturb that writing and have that conversation um, where hopefully your idea is, I want to actually change his mind on, on topic A or B or C. Like, this is like, I need to, I need to tell him that, like, look, <laughs> rethink this. <laughs> um, so, yeah, take a moment uh, oh and gosh. you can think about what, what you'd like in either of those uh, rooms. You can either do both or you can just choose one. Um, and, uh, yes, what, 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 uh, yes, what, what comes up in those two rooms is over to you. <laughs> Do you know what? I couldn't resist the temptation of bursting in on him in his study. Not because I think, I think he would be completely flummoxed if <laughs> I came and he was, you know, but I think it would just be wonderful to be a dialogue partner with him. You know, mm. this is, you know, I think this happens to everyone who works on a figure for a long time, but you mm. feel like you know that person, mm. you know, it's so presumptuous, isn't it? Sort of, <laughs> I can predict what Schleiermacher would do in situation A if I, you know, and, and obviously that's completely horrendous temptation. You know, I don't know him. Um, mm. I feel like I know him, but I don't know. But so it would be wonderful to confront my picture of Schleiermacher in my head, you know, the, mm. the Schleiermacher that mm. I, I, I envisage when I write about him with the reality. And um, I think he would be quite, um, I think he would be a really sort of sparky, um, uh, stubborn, tenacious dialogue partner. I don't think he would let me change his mind on an end. Why would he? Why would he? Um, but I, I, and, but you get that from his correspondence, you, you just really get a measure of him as someone deeply, um, appreciative of the views of others and sort of mm. someone who understands his you know I've written about this in other spaces about his um his use of pseudonyms which is a really popular um pursuit in in obviously in the in the early 19th century um but he um he liked to take on different personas and to sort of understand different perspectives and to empathize with different perspectives and I would just love to confront that head on I don't think I would I don't think I would be, have anything to say to him that would get, <laughs> feed into his work but yeah I, I, I'd, I'd mm. like to be there in his study with him that's nice that's great well the book is The Veiled God uh, out with Brill 2019 release um, be sure to check it out uh, for those of you following here it's going to be in Camden Theological Library if you want to um, check it out there first um, but you do order it uh, for yourself um, Ruth is there anything else you want to plug or promote or or draw people's attention to you want to shout out your Twitter handle anything like that oh <laughs> honestly all, the, all I want to promote is Schleiermacher. Read Schleiermacher. <laughs> do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's excellent. And if you do, then then let us know that you did. Like, yeah. you know, um, I'm sure you I'm sure Ruth gets some sort of um oh, what is it, what is it sales bonus or something. Yeah, yeah, commission. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
Um, and, and yeah, that, but do let us know if you if you are, because as you say, it's it's a growing online community. That, mm. that, that it's, it's always just nice to hear people engaging. Um, well, thank you uh, for joining us today, and uh, yes, uh, excited to hopefully get you back on the pod sometime in the future. <laughs> thank you, thank you for inviting me. You're welcome. All right, everyone. We'll uh, we'll see you next week. Bye.